Hello and welcome to the Radical Reformers podcast. I'm Andrew Laird. This podcast is for people who want to understand what it really takes to make a positive impact in public services. It features leaders from councils, the NHS, central government, charities and social enterprises, as well as think tanks and social investors. This is about policy and the implementation of policy and the grit and determination it takes to run successful public services. It's not about politics. Politics does not feature at all and the discussions are all the better for it. It's also about the stories and personal journeys of the leaders I speak to, the challenges they faced and the lessons they've learned. Running and reforming public services is incredibly difficult and I'm very grateful to these inspiring leaders for taking the time to share with others. So before we get into it, I just want to take a second to thank my friends and colleagues at Mutual Ventures for supporting me to do this podcast. My day job at Mutual Ventures is about supporting public services to be better, more sustainable and more connected to communities. This means working with central government departments to help them build bridges between policy development and local implementation. It means working with councils to help them plan for the future. And it also means working with NHS trusts to help them find their place in the new health and care system. So I hope you enjoy this podcast and that you get as much from it as I have. And don't forget to subscribe on the website or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter to make sure that you never miss a future episode. And you might even want to go back and listen to some of the older ones. This episode is with Mark Smith. Mark is the Director of Transformation at Gateshead Council. This isn't a statutory role, nor is it a particularly common one, but what the Director of Transformation role gives Mark is the ability to think freely and think long-term. And that is exactly what Mark has done. During the conversation, we talk about the innovations that Mark has pioneered at Gateshead. We talk about how you get started in your innovation journey, because sometimes it can feel like such an impossible task to solve everything. How do you get started? How do you choose the areas of public service within a council to start? And there's some really interesting insights there. To give you a taster and an idea of what I'm talking about here, we talk about how Mark worked with the council tax collection team and challenged their normal course of action, which would be to eventually send bailiffs around to collect unpaid council tax. They worked with that team, Mark and his team worked with that team to actually try and understand what the problems were that were causing people not to pay council tax. And actually it turned out that the non-payment of council tax was really just an indicator of much deeper problems. So as part of this discussion, we talk about the importance of retaining context when dealing with public services and engaging with vulnerable people. And as you would imagine, we also touch on devolution and the exciting things happening in the Northeast at the minute and what level it's appropriate to deliver public services at. What role can devolved combined authorities play in the successful delivery of local services? So let's hear from Mark. Mark, a huge welcome on the podcast. Uh, I'm really delighted to have the opportunity to have this conversation with you. For those listening who might not know who you are, can you just say a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Um, 
Yeah, so I'm the Director for Public Service Reform at Gateshead Council. So that's a council up in the northeast of, of England. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm also the senior responsible officer for a broader programme across the northeast called Changing Futures Northumbrias, which is a government funded three year programme which covers the six sort of local authority areas. And its job is to help adults with with multiple and complex needs that, that arguably haven't been helped very well by our by the by the system i suppose so yeah i kind of wear two hats great and have you always worked in councils have you always worked in the public sector no um so i, I started off um in, in uh, i was I, I went and did some postgraduate study in in of all things meteorology that was my original call right very good the academic life wasn't for me um so when i did go into uh, research into public sector but then I was in um, the commercial sector for a while as a forecaster statistical forecaster right. and then then I did a bit of work For, forecasters um, uh, have, have a bad rep these days and we got it wrong worked for we did all this modeling and actually no we didn't get it wrong but we couldn't save the company uh, whatever we did yeah. we said look you're in trouble um and uh so i did a bit of that so the, the research skills that i did learn in my academic sort of days helped me in the commercial space but then i went into public sector again in doing research and what was interesting there is i was doing research about stuff that mattered crime uh, economic yeah. policy perceptions of things but you were handing over the results to people and i got a bit frustrated by by just handing over the results to other people so then i got into the policy space which is let's do something with this um and then that progressed into the things that we're doing don't seem to be working they're based on a whole bunch of assumptions and i, I got into systems thinking so i left i left uh, did different roles and i went into to work for vanguard consulting uh, so i was mm -hmm. a systems thinker and consultant and very much enjoyed and learned a lot from john seddon and his work but i did find that i wanted a bit more breadth yeah. so came back into public service again, yeah. um, having done some consulting with police, with health, with banks, with hospitals um, in particular. So been around lots of different places trying, but fundamentally the path has always been trying to understand why things are the way they are. Um, yeah. And tr from, a, from a point of, you know, what's super ordinary, what's driving things and what's that telling us about how we might fix it or at least make it better. We'll definitely explore a lot of that, but I think it's a very interesting journey to have, you know, moved from the commercial sector to the public sector, then doing consulting and then back again. I think it's yeah. really important that people with broad experience end up in the public sector. I, I haven't yet, but maybe I will someday. But I do think it's 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 really important to to bring those those different perspectives and 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 a different way of approaching problem solving um, mm. rather than just the kind of normal, I don't want to say that anything in the public sector is normal, but the normal way of approaching you know, problem solving. Yeah, to be honest, I think when I reflect on it, the the nature of the problems that trying to understand and solve, say if we're working with clients that are very commercial, like in insurance, banking and retail. So I did a lot of data work there and a lot of listening to calls and watching customer interactions and flows. Um, but also in the public sector doing the same, the, na the nature of the problem is broadly the same. What's different, I think, is the the intervention tactics that you might wish to deploy in order mm. to help people see it. Yeah. Um, because it's not enough to be right. 
you've really got to work out why people are where they are and to come up with a way of helping them to see it and learn it viscerally because if you just tell people you're appealing to their better judgment yeah. a lot depends on where they're already at as to whether they'll listen to you or not and that gamble isn't worth it you've got you need to to invest i think i learned in consulting how to invest in understanding where people were every bit as much as where the system is rather than just doing an analysis of the system and saying here's a bunch of data that tells you you need to stop doing this and start doing that because yeah. it's not like i say it's not enough to be right and it yeah. can it can actually create damage you can do harm because it creates yeah. psychologically unsafe spaces for people that have invested a lot of time and energy in something that through no fault of their own isn't working yeah no i completely agree with all of that and I think it's a, it's a really interesting perspective. So I want to ask you a bit more about your role in Gateshead. It sounds like it's a very wide-ranging role. It, it is, and it kind of it grew out of, of other things. So I don't know of any other public service reform directors in councils. It's a strange job in one sense. But um, there's, there's really two purposes to it. The, the inside-out purpose of looking at it from the purpose of the council itself it's really to try and save money by doing the right thing. So yeah. we, there's a view that if we actually made it easier to do the right thing and, and we were better at knowing what the right thing was, we'd probably waste less money and, and reduce demand. Um, so there's a that's the kind of inside-out focus. The outside-in focus is, i.e. the people in Gateshead, is we just want as many people to thrive as possible. And at the minute, a lot of people aren't. So how how might we understand why they're not? And how might we and who else might get involved? In fact, are we the problem? Um, yeah. So to what extent can we be the solution or is the best thing we can do is to get out of the way? Um, and what's it telling us about the predictability of these things such that we might design ourselves and our partnerships better? Yeah. So there's a two. So my role really is to try and take a medium to long term view about about thriving and prosperity and people, particularly people that are struggling. Yeah. So you um, so I know from our previous conversation that this is more than just words because um, you've been driving particular innovations in in Gateshead. And from our last conversation, I know it all started with thinking about different ways to engage with and support people who owed the council money. Can you tell that story? Sure. Um, well, that's kind of where we started in as much as. We needed to start somewhere. There was no clever choice. It was it, we started there because people who were in council tax knew that something wasn't right. So there was some there was some kind of momentum. But where it all began was a sense that um, we'd been spending more and more money um, on trying to help people, and for some reason, the level of inequality was increasing. The level of poverty was increasing. So all of our, our colleagues in public health and we, you know the sort of Michael Marmot's work as well was basically screaming out whatever it is we're doing it's not really working uh, yeah. or it's working short term so it didn't start off with a desire to engage with people who owed us money it started off with a broader question which is what's going on um we're good people we're trying to do good things yeah and I so I fortunately was given space to explore so I just went to where people were engaging with us and and listened and listened to phone calls and watched people coming in, spoke to frontline staff extensively, social care, uh, crisis services, um, many places, and, and including council tax of all 
because we get a lot of phone calls. Yeah. And what was interesting there is that a lot of people were were calling and saying, look, you've written to me and I don't understand this letter and this is the last thing I need. So they were basically saying that my life is a bit tumultuous. And yeah. the, the, the council tax person, as per their training, would, would say, well, all they would look at is their account and say, well, why don't we go for five quid a month just to sort of make a little dent in this massive dent? And it just shows willing and then we'll get off your back yeah. and stop sending you letters. So they will come off the call and then I would say two things. What do you, what's going to happen there? And they would say things like, it will last a couple of months and then they'll stop. So we'll write to them again. And how do you, and the second question was, how do you feel about this? And they said, pretty fed up, to be honest. Well, I'm paraphrasing. Um, yeah. Pretty, pretty bleep, bleep. And but what can you do? And so I spoke to there's one of the sort of supervising council tax, a fantastic guy. Uh, and he said, this is happening a lot. And we're all a bit fed up. And. We really want to do we were want to do a bit of research into this, but we just didn't have time. We've got so many calls to answer. So I bought them a bit of time and we spent and I supported them. And we just did some research based on the number of people beyond a certain point in the. Pro yeah, because we write to you after a, you know, you miss one payment and we might write to you again. And then we're into bailiffs and all sorts. I said, well, let's just take this sort of advanced stage. Look at the people in, the, you know, dig up who they are. And find out what we know corporately about these people and and just see what the score is. And what we learned was that the system was designed on a won't pay basis, i.e., mm. you know, you need to pay up and you're not paying. So we're going to get our bit and we're going to chase you for it and we're going to harass you for it. And, you know, because we have a the phrase I often go, we have a duty to collect this money on behalf of society to provide yeah. services. <clears throat> but but what we learned was that well so it it feels it feels morally justified to be yes, to be you, to you be chasing this money down and yeah. to an extent I suppose the, that's the, right yeah yeah the de facto position was to create and maintain a defendable yeah. position and we found that common to lots of services um, but actually when we looked at it ninety six percent of people in that cohort couldn't pay no matter what we said only four percent were willfully not paying so we were basing it on the four percent. So we said, well, given that we now have asked a different question, how do we validate that and what do we do? Yeah. So I didn't know where to start. So bearing in mind, we're trying to address a broader inequalities question and a lot of people aren't thriving. I thought, well, let's just use the maxim of start somewhere and go everywhere. So we'll start here. There's no, you could, have, you could have tied yourself in all sorts of analytical knots about where to start. But I thought I'll go where people are fed up and I'll go where we have a bit of data and we'll just take yeah. it from there. So we set up a small prototype of about, I think, there were five people. We had a secondee from DWP who we knew could process a benefits claim end to end. And we had people in from Citizens Advice Bureau for some of the week. And we had council tax person, the original guy who said, look, we've got a problem. Um, and we had people in from housing. And we asked and we actually had an environmental health officer in as well, because we knew from our original bit of research that benefits housing the state of the housing these things were predictable but what we learned as well was that there were every, all the idiosyncrasies that the system has designed that we've designed out context to make things repeatable and ostensibly efficient but they're not um and what we wanted to do is design context back in so we 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 created a small team and we, we gave them a list of 40 households that were on this sort of lift list with a bailiff who were going to show up and we, took, we, we held the bailiffs off and said, right, 
they're not coming. And the team were given six months, a pot of money, which was theirs. Um, it was £10,000, which they didn't spend it all. Um, and we gave them two rules and four principles. So the two rules were do not break the law and don't do any harm. And the, the four principles were we're not going to do standardised assessments unless the law says we have to. What we are going to do is understand people. We're not going to assess them. Um, we're not going to do referrals. Instead, we're going to pull expertise into the team if we need a specialist. We're not going to just do our bit and push the person onto a, uh, an expert to join their pending list and wait. Um, because one of the things we'd learned from some of our other work is that support for people who are awaiting a diagnosis won't happen until they've had a diagnosis, even if the support they need is agnostic of that diagnosis. So what I mean by that, particularly around autism and things like that, is, you know, it doesn't matter what the diagnosis is, you still need support, but you're not getting it until you've had a diagnosis. You know, so the people were trapped. So we wanted to get past that. Third one was that um, <clears throat> we were going to make decisions in the work. So they weren't going to keep asking me for permission to do everything. Um, and the, the fourth sort of principle that we used was that the, the measures that we use are for us to learn and to improve rather than to sort of justify this to anybody else so that we can collect information we can actually use. Things like what matters to people as opposed to how many did you do? And is that a red number, a green number or an amber number? So we scrapped all the existing measures and we just collected a whole bunch of different measures. What matters? To what extent can we help you with that? Is what we're doing working? How do you feel? Um, and what did we spend? <clears throat> so um, we, we gave that team six months and 10 grand and um, we said, go and do that. And we had a mnemonic to help them spend the money. This is borrowed from my days at Vanguard. So um, we said, you can spend the money or whatever you want based on understanding, not assessing people. Uh, provided that it's we use the mnemonic of plan so it's proportionate legal auditable and necessary but it mm -hmm. can be anything as long as it's you know not sort of hairy yeah. so and it's just and we like principles rather than rules because it enables people to expand method into those principles rather than simply do one method we yeah. only use rules when it is black and white and do no harm, stay legal or worthy of, of rules. So we gave them that time. And long story short is over a six month period, they helped these 40 families. And in 70 percent of the cases, lives were turned around. You know, yeah. So we were able to work on writing off debt or getting debt paid, helping people into work, helping people resolve toxic re or, or abandon toxic relationships, helping people get into better housing, helping people to connect with people that they disconnected with and one of the things that we learned is that the purpose of the work is to help people to change the way they see the world and themselves because that way we're not telling them what to think or what to do but the way they see the world and the way they see themselves is 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 limiting their own ability to to engage and help and they were telling us that it's not we were we weren't prescribing that we learned that as we went along with people and so that work was great. Now, the 30 percent that we found it difficult to help, there were very basically there were two broad archetypes. Uh, a very small group of those just wouldn't engage with us from the very beginning. They just weren't interested. They wouldn't engage. We weren't going to pester people. Yeah. Um, the others all had uh, either diagnosed or undiagnosed mental health difficulties that were pretty profound. 
And actually, some of the things we did, were able to do was get a diagnosis for people that didn't have one or where it was wrong. And that was particularly around personality disorders, which were, I think, represent a bit of a gap. But one of the interesting things that we found when we did this work, I mean, the very, very first case that we took, the very first people that we helped, first people on the list, we, um, we said to the team, this isn't a productivity test. You're used to high caseloads being busy. All we're really interested in is whether this method works. We'll worry about making it slick later. We just want to do it in a, almost like laboratory, laboratory conditions. And um, so we said, don't worry if you feel like you're not busy. We just need to test this method. Yeah. So we gave them all one case and we said, we're going to start with one. We'll speed it up later, but day one, one case. Here's the number. Here's the name. Here's the council tax account. Go. And they rang this, this really great lady up and, and said, hi, look, we're, you know, we're from a team at the council where um, we can see that you owe quite a bit of council tax, but don't worry, we're not chasing you for it. We, we just kind of wondered how you were doing. And she hung up straight away <laughs> and we thought, oh, well, great start. Then we got an, we were debriefing. Well, what do we think we did wrong, guys? So we turned the tap off, if you like, and said, oh, let's just talk about maybe should we try a different approach? And we got a message um, from the kind of switchboard reception. who said, we've just had a phone call from somebody saying we've had a hoax call. You know, and is it you? And we said it is us actually, yeah. So, so we then had, because people couldn't were incredulous, yeah, we yeah. ring and say such a thing. So, we then rang her back and said, no, no, we're for real. And and then what happened subsequently is we asked her how she was, and she she cried and said, look, I've no one's asked me how I am for a couple of years, you know. And we said, look, could we meet you and just talk to you about how we might help you generally? You know, we can't promise anything, but we, you know, we're trying to help people from scratch. And the guys went, two of the team went round and they they found loads of bags of unopened mail, much of which was from us. She was a single mom with an 11 year old boy. And his behaviour was starting to turn a bit because she'd had to give up one of her two jobs because she worked daytime and evening time. But in the evening, her mother would come round to look after the boy. But their neighbour was really aggressive and toxic and they were scared stiff of him. And, they, and she's a council tenant. And um, so when she tried to move, because she, she left the job because her grand, her mother wouldn't come around, she was scared of this guy, so she left her evening job, right. lost loads of money, got into debt with us, with rent and with various other things. The letters flooded in, she wouldn't open them. She cut herself off from her sister, she was embarrassed. She, she had a network, but she just cut herself off from it. Her mental health started to deteriorate, so did the boys. He was becoming to the attention of services through school and social services and it was and he was about to start secondary school she was worried he wouldn't have the right uniform he'd get bullied and then and it was all she was just really catastrophizing but really really worried so the guys turned up and said okay well we'll see if we can get you moved because with the question was what matters she said i want to move the housing rules said if you owe rent arrears we can't transfer you to another one of our properties but, but that was clearly the context. That was a policy devoid of context. Yeah. So we overrode it because it wasn't law. Um, yeah. It was do no harm, stay legal. Well, it's not illegal. Yeah. So I argued a bit with housing, and we got her moved, and then she got a job back, and then she got self-esteem a bit back, and we we helped her with the debt. We restructured some of it, wrote some of it off, and and, I, and I'm guessing her her mum re-engaged and her mum re-engaged, her yeah. sister re-engaged. They moved yeah. her to the school. 
the only thing we bought was some uniform for him because that wow. was pressing that was like now that's this week and we spent 80 quid six visits and about nine phone calls anyway she got wow. she ended up training trying to get a better job stable boy avoid his behavior improved so and we we she was a classic what we called she was a wobbler you know and it could have wobbled either way and it wobbled yeah. the right way with a bit of bespoke support. Now we got pilloried for it because they're like, well, we just can't buy everybody uniforms, Mark. Uh, we can't can't do this for everybody. So well, we're not going to buy everybody a uniform, but we are this guy because it was needed. Um, so this notion of what we ended up phrasing bespoke by default came out. Mm-hmm. So the, the current default is to, we default to no. The system defaults to no. So if you approach the the answer has to is initially no until you can just demonstrate that it has to be a yes yeah so we default we defaulted to bespoke which is yeah. a bit like defaulting to yes save for the rules and principles and the notion of proportionality and what we found throughout is that no two people got the same combination of, of support but there were patterns so we were able to use those patterns to say teams doing this broadly need these roles and skills yeah. benefits income maximization knowledge of the benefits system you're going to need those but you're also going to need to connect with people very occasionally. And that's a weird and wonderful and growing list. So sometimes it was health specialists, but sometimes it was the dog groomer because somebody liked grooming dogs. And we felt that was a way of helping that person to do something. It was getting bus passes. It was just meeting for coffee, you know. And um, there's something um, around that which which is almost disarmingly simple. And to the point where... Um, a lot of the specialisms and a lot of the uh, people in professions were sceptical. Like, well, it can't be that easy. And we were saying, well, it isn't actually. A lot of the time we need specialisms. Mm. But what, what we get, what we learned is that the system is currently made up of a whole bunch of different specialisms, housing, social care, various clinical specialisms. And it's incumbent upon someone to navigate those or to be helped to navigate them. And it's there's a sort of almost implicit assumption that the answer to that person's problem is there's some mythical combination of what those various specialisms can provide and all you need to do is work out how much of each of those things you need and we found it wasn't the case and that yeah. what they needed was bespoke by default and lots of idiosyncratic stuff that you can't commission. Mark that's an amazing story and a brilliant example of what you've been doing in Gates said thank you so much for that there's just a few bits for listeners that I think are worth repeating there, this whole idea of public services deliberately designing out context and trying to to treat everyone as as an average, that happens so much. And just putting that, you know, designing that context back in as you described it and yeah. you know bespoke by by default. That's the first point that I think is really important there. And then those key principles about not doing any harm, not breaking the law, keep it legal, keep it auditable, keep it necessary. And it's really about creating a quite a wide framework of permission for your yeah. frontline staff to, to, to make to use their own judgment and to do what they think is necessary rather yeah. than giving them a paint by numbers list of things. 
Yeah, it, it is. But it's also about saying it, it is your judgment, but don't feel like we're dumping this on you. If you need advice, yeah. pull for it. You're not pulling for permission, but you by all means pull for advice. That's really important as well. And you've got that also. The other thing you talked about there was what I would describe as a learning mindset. And just, you know, yeah. I imagine there was a no blame culture there as well, where yeah. you were like, yeah, you yeah. know, if things don't work, fine, let's learn the lessons. Let's make yeah. sure we do it we do it better next time and then just the final point was the the really important one actually of identifying bigger problems that a person might be dealing with rather than just being in council tax arrears like the the mental health issues and things that I'm sure you were able to point them in the right direction to get help and then maybe eventually they they would be able to respond to that support that you were giving them. Yeah, I mean, the key for us was that we wanted to put mental health into it rather than refer them on. But mental health, okay. the capacity was just, they were yeah. they were the ones that struggled the most to help us. And, and we understood that. And this came at them quite suddenly. One of the lessons was this, the length of time. We set it up and ran with it quite quickly. And we got a lot of partners on board, but not all of them. And one of the ones we didn't get on board early on was mental health because we just cracked on. And what I, what I learned was to onboard them. But we wanted to move quickly and learn, and we knew it wouldn't be perfect. And from that angle, it really wasn't. But I guess the key thing about the council tax thing, to remember more than anything, is that of those 40 families and households that we helped, only for only one of them was council tax debt the main issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to treat the council tax debt at face value was absolutely the wrong thing to do in yeah. every every instance but one. It's a symptom of a... Of... Yeah whatever the problems are can I just ask you how so I'm sure people will will be listening here thinking already thinking I really want to do something like this in my council how how did you choose the area to start this process I'm going to ask you about where else you you've spread this approach to but how did you pick the area to start because it feels like you very deliberately picked a staff group that were really hacked off with yeah. how things were going and were eager to engage with anything that might improve it. Yeah, the the the, the um the phrase I used, I mean, there's no scientific science to it. Um, we just wanted to get people that were fed up for all the right reasons. Yeah, they were. And also the demand coming in was fairly easy to, to measure and understand. Mm. So it was a it was a decent simple place to start you know we didn't want to start in adult social care because the, the variety of, of channels of, of demand the variety yeah. of the demand itself and the complicated nature of that system and with some of the legislative stuff that makes that difficult and eligibility we did go there but we didn't start there so we chose to start there because it felt doable and we wanted to learn we weren't trying to change council tax we were just trying to understand what happens if you use council tax debt as a signal rather than as a presentation in its own right and I think that really helped us so we went there because they were willing and they were dissonant they had two competing ideas in their head about the reality of the world and the nature of their work and they wanted to resolve it I mean this isn't for everyone some going whoever goes first has to really want it and has to be willing to to unlearn as well as learn they were Brilliant. And where else have you expanded this approach to? So after we did that one and we fed the results back, there was a lot of interest. So we then did something similar around homelessness. So we partnered with um, 
a local fantastic um, third sector organisation called Oasis Community Housing. They run a walk-in centre for homeless people in Gateshead. So we adopted the same principles and we essentially um, helped people that were turning up there to the walk-in just to get help. And we found very similar things. Um, we found that the understand rather than assess approach in a much more, you might argue, more chaotic client group achieved the same results. Mm. Um, people want, felt listened to, had agency. Um, we worked on things in the order in which they matter to the person. So we might help them with, I mean, in a more recent example, but in the same kind of cohort, we helped somebody first with their teeth because their teeth was the issue. We didn't just shove them in a property and say, well, you're homeless, here's a house. Um, yeah. So whilst they were sleeping rough, we were helping them with things that to our sensibilities, why, why do they want that? Why do they want a house? But our sensibilities were irrelevant. Um, mm. So homelessness was good and that really helped us to understand the impact of, of trauma. Um, so our trauma-informed practice was honed and we were able to come up with again idiosyncratic solutions for people with people alongside them we very rarely suggested things we, we kind of built on their impulses and their aspirations um and it, it helped people again to get to reconnect to focus on beating any um addictions they had or to, to fix broken relationships that were sort of deep at the heart of this we also learned a lot about the, the poor nature in which transitions happen when you whether you're leaving care or leaving prison these sorts of transitions are kind of weak spots in the current setup which is full of issues but this is one of them and we found that the trauma inflicted by those transitions was was very preventable so we we noticed that when big changes happen to people a change yeah. in setting or circumstances the lack of context around that really um, set people back so that was key in the homelessness thing and that we learned that there more than in the council tax one yeah um that's really interesting how you've expanded it into uh, other areas you, you mentioned um a while ago that the the council tax issue you took you used that as a signal that there might be deeper problems is yeah. there and this is quite in some areas this is quite controversial in public services but is there a role for analytics or ai or something looking at multiple signals that would actually yeah. all of a sudden you know give your team a, a list of people who are worth engaging with and just asking if they're doing okay it's a worry because i don't want to get into profiling i mean that's we yeah to, i know we want to be prescient and we want to be ethical so if yeah. there is an issue here there is something about um it's not unreasonable to say if somebody has rent arrears and council tax, um, the data suggests that it's not unreasonable to ask them how they're doing. Yeah. Um, and I think that's OK, provided that we're willing to be answered, bugger off, we don't want anything yes. to do with you. Um, yeah, yeah. Or, uh, yeah, any, yeah, but not you. So what yeah. we mustn't think is that even if we can use signals to create areas where there's a likelihood of these issues it's not incumbent upon us necessarily to to be the kind of saviors here yeah. so one of the things around context is if not us then who or who's already doing this brilliantly and are we the problem so there's a, a fantastic um, organization called Edbert's house and there are others like you know do, do similar things in Gateshead and what we learned from from them 
was that they would they essentially just set up in a community that had high levels of antisocial behaviour and created a physical presence and got funding from all sorts of weird and wonderful places and really kind of resourceful and 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 really insightful group of people and they they just decided to be in a place and work with people that were there knock on doors see who comes in yeah and they built they just built a, a sort of different community they didn't intervene it wasn't the council and then they eventually would pull on the council for a bit of help with things that are down to us like housing issues or whatever so what we want to do with data is to understand and we're still working on this yeah where is it reasonable or worth the risk for us to sort of turn up yeah and and where is it not us and actually does it matter and can we create the kind of um a unified multi-sector multi-agency partnership that kind of resolves all of that sort of stuff and is kind of makes it irrelevant and that's what we're trying to build now we're trying to sort of expand into that space by just saying we know signals are good and we know that a presenting issue shouldn't be taken at face value um, and because demand is high, you could argue mm. that you could do, run all the analytics you want and be and be super proactive. We know where the deprived areas are. We know where yeah. areas of high demand are. And they're not always the same. Um, so we could set up or work with Edbert's House type organisations in those areas yeah. because we know they work. And then we could deal with the presenting demand in a way that looks past it. And that ought to work to be enough. What I don't yeah. want to do is, is profile because I think it's dangerous. No, no, I, I accept that answer. I just w- w- was interested in your your, your view yeah, on it. It's just a fine I, line. Yeah. It's a very fine line. It is. It is. Um, I just want to ask you something about. Again, this is trying to predict questions that people in other councils might have. You know, allowing allowing staff freedom to do what their common sense tells them is right. Um, I imagine that's quite hard. Well, I know that's quite hard to achieve sometimes within a council environment. So, how did you do it? How did you get the approvals and things? Are we talking about asking forgiveness rather than permission? A bit of the latter, for sure. Um, yeah. We, we were very, and are still, even the bigger piece of it, very diligent around debriefing. Um, so part of the expectation if that you're given this freedom within the rules and principles is that in debrief, we have to say, whether we you know whether it worked whether we didn't and whether it didn't and why and it and it has to be a place where people put their hand up and say do you know what i tried that it didn't work or i think i might have bodged this up or i think i made a mistake or i think we're onto something so the permission comes with responsibility and that is we have to debrief you have to journal we need you to write stuff down in case journals about what you're doing how you're feeling what's working what do and we have people now the learning team that will take a lot of those those journal entries look for patterns and and decide between them and the caseworkers what issues to explore systemically or methodologically and we're learning that some people are really up for that but we're also learning some people aren't and we didn't always get it right with appointments and that's not to criticize those for whom this wasn't for because what I would say about those is it was not for them yet because what you have of course is you have people that are always up for new things uh, irrespective of how they feel about the now they're they're always up to try new things but then there's another group that are not necessarily always up for new things but they're so fed up they are now Mm. they're the ones you want to at least to start there's another group of people that will be up for this if they've seen evidence that it works 
So then, and sometimes we got people like that in early, and they they were so worried that there was no other evidence that they would revert to type. They would basically say, the old system isn't perfect, but I know if I follow this pathway, I'm safe. And we would say, yeah, but it didn't work. Look, it didn't work, they're coming back. And it's not that they were you know, heartless or didn't care, they absolutely cared, but they, they were really, they would really struggle. <clears throat> with what they saw as their personal exposure to a much more open-ended method that had rules and yeah. principles. It wasn't laissez-faire, um, but nonetheless wasn't a fixed pathway. And what we realised is that the people that were felt safe from that would need to go later, not first. So there were some people, we just because do no harm applies to staff too. Yeah. And we would talk to the staff and say, come on, is this working? Oh, it's such an important point. And just as you're describing that, it feels like there's a lot of parallels with one of the other interviewees in the podcast. It was the, the very first one, actually, a lady called Sophie Humphreys, who set up a, a service called Pause, which engages with women who've had multiple babies taken into care. Oh. And that is um, it, it's very much about a totally different way of engaging with people who have, you know, the signal in this instance was repeated children getting taken into care rather yeah. than 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 council tax not being yeah. paid but the point of it, i was thinking about there was that for pause and it sounds like for what you're talking about here getting the right staff involved with the right attitude and the right personality is really important is that a fair comment and if so how, how, did, how did you find those people amazing um and what i loved about them is that they didn't just sort of lap this up they they pushed back where they thought yeah. there was something wasn't right some people would decry the lack of clarity and what we would say is yeah you're not wrong we're not clear but we don't know we don't know if we buy that uniform for that lad we don't know what impact that's going to have will it create an unhelpful dependency or actually yeah. is is a bit of dependency for a short period of time the right thing to do because yeah. that person wants to create other better dependencies than others one of the things that we were conscious of is we would talk a lot about risk, but we didn't want to confuse risk with need um, and, and risk with, with aspiration. So a lot of the systems based on what if, and we wanted to base it on what is. Yeah. And that's a yeah. difficult thing to, for people to move from and to. We didn't want to remove discussions about risk, but yeah. we really wanted to change or add some stuff around the, the, those idiosyncratic details. So some stuff... The ones that were kind of um, deeply questioning about the lack of clarity, we wanted them to be because they were speaking on behalf of the old system because the, the, yeah. the system could could relax, if you like, in, in its current state by saying, well, it doesn't matter because it's compliant, therefore everyone's safe. And if demand goes up because we failed, well, so be it. Yeah. But that's becoming unsustainable. Failure demand yeah. is shooting up. So... We had really challenging people. They would not hide what they felt, but they would also, they would give everything to help the, the people. They were forming good, not inappropriate, but good, strong relationships. They understood the power of relationships rather yeah. than transactions. Yeah. So if you're going to get people with that amount of insight and capability, you're going to get intellectual and moral challenge. And my, mm -hmm. my take was bring it on. It was lively. Yeah, to say the yeah. least. 
Yeah. Oh, Mark, I could talk to you about this all, all day, but I want to move on to a different topic, which is about regional working. And, mm. um, you know, there's some exciting developments in the Northeast around a new combined authority. And you mentioned right at the start that you were doing some regional work on the on the Changing Futures program. And I was just wondering what your thoughts are on, particularly when thinking about helping vulnerable people, what what's what's right to do at a regional level? What works at a regional level? What role does the combined authority have supporting, facilitating this? And what really just needs to be left to councils? I mean, that might be another entire podcast, mm-hmm. the answer to that question, but some yeah. thoughts would be really good. To my mind, the answer is uber local. Um, I don't believe in scaling up. I believe more in spreading out. Um, So why I don't want to, because as soon as you get into scale discussions, you're into sort of, let's make it repeatable um, and predictable. And people are not so repeatable. They're all different. So at a regional level, I think it's more about empowerment than than enforcing and, 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 um, you know, over-specifying. So the... What we've done in Changing so Changing Futures is a different beast completely to Devolution. It's a different project. Um, we bid for that as a group a few years ago, and we we took a regional approach. Not everybody did, so they're not Changing Futures projects across the country aren't all regional, just as happens to be. Because we what we wanted to test was this idea that um, you could have different sites uh, deploying this same what we call this liberated method with different presenting issues and deploy broadly the same method and achieve similar results. Because what that gives power to is the idea that don't deal with the presenting issue as the main issue, have the capability to absorb everything that goes with it whilst carefully and and, um, sensitively dealing with that presenting issue. And what we learned is the regional scale of that makes it attractive. And we've got a mantra of attraction, not persuasion. We want people to be curious. Yeah. We don't want to just turn up with and just bang people over the head with the data. Yeah. And um, so there's something about saying to government, this can happen in lots of different places. So it just gives it some um, credibility. Now, that's fine in terms of proving a point. But in terms of the devolution stuff, I think one of the things it, it gives us is it gives it, it gives us a chance to create the networks that are required for, for that for the very local teams to pull on all manner of different specialisms that are needed, because some of them might be regional because the demands are so low in any given small geography. Um, So what we want devolution to do is to kind of create a fund because there's there's something in the Devo deal about, Mm. I think they're calling it a radical prevention fund. And the idea is that it, it spends its time and energy preventing demand turning up in acute settings which are high cost and you know high frequency and what changing futures is sort of saying is we're doing that now so yeah. i think that the, what devolution can do is it can create that kind of massive network for uber local teams to pull on and yeah. to make sure that when they pull whatever it is turns up if they've got data across all the amount of pulls that are happening and they're, and they're all genuine because they're based on understand not assess then we can start to scale it properly. We can start to say, well, this is how many of these things we need across the region. So where the regional economy of scale is the right one, we can deploy it regionally, but where it needs to be perhaps in a borough or in a town, we can do that too. So developing that model and that fund with health, social care, um, housing, 
you know, and mental health in particular, gives us an opportunity to really nail this. So I'm quite keen as the devolution deal becomes turns into the devolved authority is to give some design to that aspiration because right now it's just an aspiration in the Evo deal and working to turn that into a an actual um regional uh, approach to helping vulnerable people that is able to be uber local but benefit from being regional at the same time it's not it's a big ask but i think we can do it that makes a a huge amount of sense and you know I, i i do know quite a lot of the combined authorities are ranging outside of their kind of statutory remit around transport and things like that yeah, and really yeah. wanting to understand how to, how they can play a role helping vulnerable people but i think yeah. you you're really you're really right to sound the warning that this doesn't mean that you suck things up and try and standardize everything and yeah. design out context as you said you know well, if you it. can make it even more local by yeah supporting it from the combined authority level that's great we've learned just there's a piece of work we're doing in changing futures we're we're calling it the burning platform and and what the reason we're calling it that is uh, and this will help regionally and locally and nationally i think is that we we were worried that we would do this work with individuals and demonstrate that by understanding them and building relationships we could we could um help people to stabilize and have an upward trajectory who have been bouncing around the system for years yeah and what we what concerned is that we would demonstrate that we could do that so any minister who gets the stuff on the desk would compare our results to the view in their head as to the current system and yeah. i didn't want them to do that i wanted them to compare it to the current system in reality so we've the client's permission explicit written consent we've dug up um, some of our clients history of interactions with all the public services they've ever encountered and and that's involved getting about 16 or 17 data sharing agreements so it's been a bit of a bit of a grind wow. but we're amassing all of this looping around and failure and then we're going to compare it to what we've spent and then, then contrast the results because we want to make a case for saying we can't afford not to do this because it might look expensive low case loads generalists not specialists you know spending all that time you know building in allowing for lapses because people lapse and you know that that sounds a bit expensive don't have the patience for that and it's important that in forming a new regional body in particular there's a little bit of context as to how the current system designs in a lot of hidden cost that's a really clever way of doing it and you know with a fair wind and you combined authority might be willing to start with a fresh way of approaching traditional public service problems that would be more about this approach. So really, really interesting. So um, Mark, I've got one more question for you here, which is one I ask everybody. And and I just, I imagine you could give give about 10 answers to this, but try, try and give your top one. So what bit of advice would you give to someone working in the public sector or a charity or social enterprise who wants to make an impact in the way that you and the team haven't get said. So imagine your audience is that council uh, employee who is listening to this thinking, I really want to do something like this. I think the first thing I would do, and this sounds very dry, is get some data. Uh, And that means go to where work comes in. So find a way of, and as charming and as unthreatening as you can be, of (laughs) listening to phone calls. And, And 
asking a really basic question, which is what is our purpose? Again, this comes back to my Vanguard days and sort of John Seddon's work, but it, it also builds a lot on beyond some of that because it's, I think there's a stuff, some stuff around values. So one of the questions I would do, and I'm listening to these calls, and what values are we are on show here? Yeah. Um, so, for example, um, are we finding that people are acting in a way that is more to do with survival, or is it to do with with um, service? Yeah. And it's not about judging people. It's about trying to understand the values that they're they're having to sort of factor into their responses. And if people are are acting in one way, but they're not coping with it very well, they're dissonant. Yeah. Explore it. So it's to so get soft and hard data. If you're curious, then follow your curiosity. So I mean, I, before I was in Gateshead years ago, and I first started doing this work, I was in Cheshire, Cheshire County Council, and they they asked me to do a piece of work around. Um, reviews of older people's care packages they have this annual review and there's a pi which says how we've done these annual reviews and ostensibly the problem to solve was um get them to do more annual reviews mark and i was quite junior at this point i was like a business analyst so i went and spoke to the social workers and i saw the annual reviews and there were there were just tick box exercises of course and i would say well how often do you go and see this person oh, i see them twice a week or every day mm. do you not review them every day then well, kind of, but, you know, the annual review is different. Well, well, it isn't, is it? So just getting that data, I was able to go back and say, you know, those annual reviews you care about, they have no value. There, mm. there is no, there's no instance that I can find where it's materially helped the person you're reviewing. What has helped is the relationship the social worker's building up or the carer is building up. And actually yeah. they're disempowered because it's been commissioned for this, but what's needed is that. And... Um, I got data and it meant that I could sort of engender some curiosity amongst the leadership. Maybe we should ask a different question Um, rather than let's just get that PI up. And what they ended up doing was saying, oh, stuff the PI, we'll we'll wear it because we're here to do a different job, which was big of them because a lot of people wouldn't do that. So go listen to calls, get data, be curious uh, and accept that that's not easy and it takes a bit of time. Um, you need to try and be as charming as you can because the last thing people want is some smart ass turning up, think, thinking that they're, you know, you're, you're inspecting them. You're not, you know, you're there to learn. You've got to keep repeating. I'm just here to learn. Um, and when you do that, see if you can get a mentor to talk it through with. It doesn't have to be your manager. If you're someone yeah. in a different organisation or someone you trust and respect, talk. Get them. I've always had mentors. I've always sought a mentor, and they vary over the years. And then from there, you can start to create a proposal and make it small. My, my council tax temp, um, pilot, nobody asked for it, but it was really small. 40 yeah, families, yeah, yeah. six months, a bit of change money. Easy to say problem. yes. You make it easy to say yes to. Yeah, yesable yeah. propositions or think about what the yesable proposition is. Yeah. Um, and I think there's something about get, start somewhere. doesn't matter where. Don't obsess about where to start. Go, you know, go with a with a tailwind. Alex, the guy in council tax, was an is still an absolute legend, and and he was the the reason I started there because I knew he was already fed up for all the right reasons. Yeah. So go find those people. Brilliant, Mark, amazing. Thank you so much for your time. No, you're welcome. Thank you, Andrew. So there's a huge amount to unpack here, but I want to start with how Mark found that area of council services to start 
with. And he was looking for two things. He was looking for teams that were fed up for the right reasons and were therefore likely to be open to change and trying things differently. And he was also looking for areas where there was some data. And obviously in council tax collection, there's tons of that. So that was an excellent place to start. I was also very interested in Mark's idea about designing context back into public services. And he's absolutely right that for public services, quite a lot of time and effort is spent trying to design context out, trying to find a one-size-fits-all solution which treats everybody as, as an average. And his philosophy of everything being bespoke by default was a really important part of why this experiment worked and why then Mark was able to take it and spread it from council tax default to other areas like homelessness. And what does bespoke by default mean? Well, it means that, as Mark says, you've got to focus on understanding a person's situation rather than assessing it. You can't design a bespoke solution for something unless you take the time to understand it. And that's exactly what the team at Gateshead did. So to some listening, this might all feel a little bit too laissez-faire when it comes to delivering public services with very constrained public resources. But as Mark very articulately explained, with the permission to act with freedom comes the responsibility, the responsibility to debrief, to journal. And that's all aimed at making sure that this is a constant learning process. So it's not just trying things and whatever works, works. And individuals elsewhere will try things and they'll all be on their own learning journey. No, it's all about collecting that information centrally so that everybody can learn from everybody's experience. And that's what made this so powerful, I think. The final thing I want to point out is to do with the language Mark uses. So Mark has clearly been on a journey trying to embed a new way of thinking and a new way of working in Gateshead. And you'll have noticed that he uses quite consistent language. He talks about understanding, not assessing. He talks about bespoke by default. He talks about doing no harm, breaking no laws. These are phrases that he repeated during the course of the interview. And if you're trying to instill a new culture, you need to have that level of consistency about what your message is and what you're trying to get people to do. And I think Mark is clearly doing that very effectively. So that's everything for this episode. Many thanks for listening and I hope you'll join us next time.